NPR. When he first started selling weed, Gregory Pereira was just a kid. It was the 1970s. He was living in the South Bronx. I had lived on the street uh, most of my life. God bless my mother's soul, but um, uh, she had a drug problem. My father ended up incarcerated for a period of time. I had uh, uncles who um, who turned into uh, weed dealers, and um, it's kind of where I got my start. Gregory remembers how the economy for illegal drugs thrived in his neighborhood and how some police would selectively turn a blind eye. He says white people who came in to buy drugs, the cops would just shoo away. But for black and brown folks... For us who lived in the area, if there was one bag on the floor, $10 bag, and there's five of us around, all five go to jail with intent to sell. I know because it happened to me. And this isn't just Gregory's experience, right? For decades, states have arrested and imprisoned people for selling or possessing weed. And if you look at the stats, it's clear marijuana prohibition has been enforced in a discriminatory way. For instance, despite the fact that white people and black people use marijuana at similar rates, black people are more than three times as likely to be arrested for it. Nowadays, cannabis is a fast-growing industry, estimated to bring in roughly $30 billion this year. And as many states try to stand up these new markets, they're trying to give those most affected by marijuana's prohibition, people like Gregory, a chance to make money from it legally through something called social equity programs. It all sounds really great on paper, but there's challenges, so many challenges. This is The Indicator from Planet Money. I'm Waylon Wong. And I'm Adrian Ma. Today on the show, how the economics of the cannabis business can make social equity hard to achieve. And why a lot of these would-be entrepreneurs are finding themselves hitting a grass ceiling. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Babson College. The world needs entrepreneurial leaders, and you can become one at Babson College. Gain the skills to lead, motivate, and inspire through a specialized master's or MBA program with full-time, part-time, and online options. Turn ideas into action with a graduate program that caters to your professional needs and fits your lifestyle. Ranked number one in entrepreneurship by U.S. News and World Report. Apply now at babson.edu slash gradprograms. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Certified Financial Planners. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, Certified Financial Planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Weed is now legal in about half the country, and many of these states have tried to roll out this new industry with a nod to social equity, the idea that individuals and communities disproportionately harmed by marijuana enforcement and the war on drugs should be able to participate in this burgeoning business. In New York, that's meant people like Gregory have priority when the state is deciding who gets a license to open a marijuana dispensary. I said, this is great because also the tax money is supposed to rebuild the communities that were so severely damaged. I'm thinking this is a wonderful thing. The state started issuing licenses in late 2022. And within a few months, Gregory and his wife got their license. But 
Things did not get easier from there because then they had to find the capital, the money to actually stand up a shop. And Gregory found out this could cost anywhere from a quarter million dollars to over half a million dollars. And I'm like, how can ex-felons or people with, with records get that much money? And the thing is, this is not just a problem for folks with a criminal record. The world of cannabis finance is weird because the main product here is illegal under federal law, which is kind of ironic for a business all about green. I, I should ding a little bell every time you do a weed pun. That, okay, sorry. I apologize. That's the last one. Now, if Gregory were starting a coffee shop or a hair salon or whatever, he could just go to a bank and get a small business loan. But most banks don't even want to touch cannabis money. So basically, the only option for most would-be cannabis entrepreneurs is to bootstrap their way in and try to raise the money from friends, family, or deep-pocketed investors. I live in the street, man, so I don't have those kind of resources, man. And this is precisely the bind that a lot of social equity licensees find themselves in, not just in New York, but in states around the country with similar programs. Chris Crane has been working on cannabis policy for years, and he's currently a consultant for cannabis businesses. By definition, folks who meet the criteria for social equity licensing are more likely to be from lower income communities. And so they are then much less likely to have access to angel investors and high net worth individuals within their friends and family network. There are private lenders out there, but many charge interest rates of 20 to 40 percent. Often they'll demand a large stake in the company. And Chris says some investors will do some pretty shady things. Unfortunately, one thing that we see too commonly in this industry is a situation where a well-heeled existing operator or investor group will effectively use a social equity qualified applicant as a front person to essentially extract, you know, 90 to 95 percent of the revenue. And so that that social equity operator becomes in, in effect a, like a 5 percent owner. So without a way to raise capital or the willingness to take on what Chris describes as predatory levels of debt, it is pretty common for people out there who qualify for these social equity licenses to actually give them up, you know, to get out of the business before they even start. One of the things I do part time is I work with smaller operators and licensees who are looking to sell and help them find buyers. And I've seen lots of folks who have gotten these licenses who have come to me and said, I can't raise the capital. It's simply not out there. I just want to sell this thing. Now, Chris says Congress could actually make a big difference here. There's a bipartisan bill called the Safer Banking Act that would allow banks to do business with state-regulated cannabis companies and make it easier for them to open accounts and get small business loans. In the meantime, some states are trying to address the need for capital themselves. Massachusetts, for example, provides grants to social equity license holders, and California has low or no interest loans available. But Chris says the amounts these programs are offering generally don't come near to covering the full cost of opening a dispensary, which can be upwards of a million dollars. One state that's taken an unusual approach is New York. They set up a $200 million social equity fund. But licensees we spoke to, like Carl Anderson, said the process to get this money has been slow and frustrating. Every day the question becomes, is this worth it? Is it worth the stress? Is it worth the... The bills that are mounting, because I'm certainly mounting a bunch of lawyer fees. Carl says he considered getting a loan from New York's Cannabis Social Equity Investment Fund. But in the end, he didn't think it was worth the 13 to 14 percent interest rate he would have to pay. 
And the reason for that interest rate? The majority of the money in the fund comes from a private investment firm called Chicago Atlantic. That's right. And as private money does, it is looking for a return on that investment. At the end of the day, it wasn't really about the equity or social equity. It was about ROI. It doesn't give social equity a chance in hell. You're, you're like anybody else, a predatory lender that's playing on the market. We reached out to the agency that administers the social equity fund for comment, and it said licensees don't have to use the fund, but the loan terms they can get through the fund are generally better than what they can get on the private market. Uh, we also spoke to Damian Fagan, who's with the state's social equity licensing program. It's separate from the fund. And he says this arrangement with the fund and the private investment firm is not ideal, but it's a start. In some cases, those agreements and, and those fund locations have been the best option presented to them. Uh, specifically, I can think of at least seven or six Black-owned businesses that are open because of that, that support that they wouldn't have been able to get from, from the private sector on their own. And Damien says as the marijuana market matures, billions of dollars in sales taxes will flow back to the state. And some of that money can be funneled into helping social equity entrepreneurs in the form of low-interest loans and grants. This money that will eventually be flowing in through the form of tax revenue is intended to prop up uh, a small business, inclusive, diverse cannabis economy in New York. And that, that's what we're going to use it for. He says it's still a work in progress. And hopefully other states launching their marijuana industries will learn from its example and its mistakes. Meanwhile, Gregory Pereira says he is still trying to get money from that social equity fund, still hoping to open up his store. Half of me says, you know what, this is just way too much, man. And the other half says, you know, listen, it don't come easy, man. Just keep moving forward. This episode was produced by Cooper Katz McKim with engineering by Sina Lafredo and Gilly Moon. It was fact-checked by Sierra Juarez. Kate and Kenan edits our show, and The Indicator is a production of NPR. On It's Been a Minute, we're keeping you in the know when it comes to culture. I break down the latest trends and the forces behind them and introduce you to the creatives who think deeply about how we live today. Come for some good old cultural analysis and have a few laughs with me. Listen to the It's Been a Minute podcast from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Greenlight. Want to teach your kids financial literacy? With Greenlight, kids and teens use a debit card of their own, while parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and savings in the app. Get your first month free at greenlight.com NPR. Why is everyone so obsessed with traditional wives or trad wives on social media? This week, we're talking about the viral videos of women making marshmallows and mozzarella from scratch and how behind the sheen of calm kitchens and cute fits, there's some interesting pessimism about our modern world. And that's worth digging into. Next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR.